0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey.
1: Well, Venture, as we dive into week two of Reframe, I've entitled it that because I think this book of Philippians is such a powerful little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And as we've looked at it, this book has so many verses, has so many statements in it, that I think help us reframe the way we see life. And just to give a little bit of review, when I say that, we're talking about to reframe is to see the current situation from a different perspective. So what we wanna do is allow the truth of God's word to change the way that we see our world, and maybe change the way we see our life, specifically around the issue of joy. And when you think about joy and happiness, and I told you last week again to review, happiness is based on what is happening to you, but joy is based on what Christ is doing in you. And, and I want to remind you, I said this last week, but I just remind you again, there's nothing wrong with happiness. We we should actually embrace the the good days of life and embrace the happiness that comes. We just don't want to base our life on it. When you have those moments, those pinnacles of joy, you guys know I love sports. And one of my favorite things is at the end of a season when you see a team reach a championship. You know, we saw it this last week. I, I watched the NBA Finals. And, and to watch the the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks go back and forth, it was kind of fun to see some teams that haven't been in it. And I was pulling really for both sides. Uh, I love the coach of the Suns, Monty Williams. And, and also, there's a former Arkansas Razorback, uh, Bobby Portis, who's on the Bucks. So I, I found myself when the both teams were competing. The Bucks finally pulled it out, and you, you just watch them celebrating. You can't help but be happy with them. Uh, maybe even more than that, just a few weeks ago, the Stanley Cup. Uh, I'm even more a hockey fan, and uh, watching the Stanley Cup Finals. And maybe you didn't realize it, but we actually have a connection as a church to the team that won, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, One of the assistant coaches, Rob Zettler, is a part of the Venture family. He played for the Sharks in the past and coached here, and he's one of the assistant coaches for the Lightning. And the great thing about the Stanley Cup is the winning team, they have a great tradition with it, that the trophy, the Stanley Cup itself, which I think is the most prestigious trophy in sports, everybody who's a part of the team, part of the organization, during that celebration season, they get one day personally with the cup. The committee actually has a, a group, they bring it to you. And so Rob called this last week and, and he lined it up and he said, hey, I just found out my day with the cup is this coming Sunday. Would you guys want me to bring it to church? And so this weekend, if you're watching this online, you're not getting to be a part of it probably unless you want to rush over to church. But in, in our first service, second service, Rob is bringing the cup and so we're excited about that, to be able to enjoy that as a church. You you know, I love anytime we have somebody in our body that uh, God is using in a specific place and a unique position of influence. I I love just hearing what God's doing through it. And so I asked Rob, instead of just bringing the cup, would you come in and let me interview you? And so I sat down with Rob this week. I I want you to watch that interview before we dive into the message. Venture, I'm thrilled to be here with Rob Zettler. Uh, Rob and his family are part of the Venture family and uh, God is doing some pretty amazing things in your life and just what you're able to be a part of and you know as I told everybody you you are part of a Stanley Cup winning team and (laughs) be able to coach in that. Um, Let me just say congratulations. Yeah thanks Uh, Tim, I appreciate
0: it. I'm thrilled. To say the least.
1: I, I bet. Now, I, I, I brought my Sharks mask and yeah. I got my Sharks sock. to that underneath. Yeah, armor. yeah. I, I, I was wishing we were celebrating a Sharks cup and, and certainly with your history of both playing and yeah. coaching with the Sharks, but but I did wear some blue. Oh, tried good. To, yeah, the Tampa yeah, blue. Yeah, right yeah I like tried it. to yeah. get a little Tampa blue so that we uh, made sure that we honored it. But, I, you know, I'm in this series and we're talking about even today, happiness yeah. and joy with that. And, and as I think of a moment... Yeah that is like pure distilled happiness. I can't think of anything more. You know, I watched the scenes as yeah. you guys won the cup.
0: Describe for me, what, what is that like for a group of guys that have accomplished something that hard yeah. in that moment? You go you go from completely dialed in for two months, mm-hmm. and then the last five minutes of the game we're up on nothing and dialed in, and there's 20,000 screaming and yelling. You can't even really hear them, because mm-hmm. you're so dialed in. And then the, the final buzzer blows, And then it's just pure joy, man. Like it is just pure joy. And so we go on the ice and of course we get the cup and we do all that stuff. And then someone hands it to you for the first time and you're just like, oh wow, like it's incredible. Like I'm the typical small town Canadian kid, you know, outdoor rink check, small town check, all of it, right? Teeth check. (laughs) And uh, um, so for me to put that over my head was, it was a thrill of a lifetime. And then for me to walk it over and see my family in the stands and just kind of thank you, it was, you know, beyond. And then, you know, see them afterwards to celebrate with them, you kind of just take a step back and you go, wow, this this is actually happening. And then you watch, you know, your wife and your kids uh, enjoying the moment and joy, and then you see all the guys you work with and, of course, the players. And like I said, it's just, it's pure joy. Everybody is just happy beyond belief, it's awesome. Awesome. It did not disappoint, let me tell you that. I'm I'm sure.
1: I mean, you you can kind of see it there. You see it on everybody's faces, and I I was so thrilled for you guys to win it at home and to be able to have your family there as a part of it and and just adds to it, I'm sure.
0: It it does, man, because it was, you know, we're in Montreal for Game 4, and we thought we had a chance to close it out, and we don't. And you never want to open the door, not even a crack, because these teams are so good. But we got back home, we were able to pull it off, and to do it in front of the fans and to have... You know, I, my family couldn't be in Montreal, so to have my family there and to celebrate with them, and mm. for them to, you know, I'm drinking out of the cup, my wife's drinking <laughs> out of the cup, my two daughters are drinking out of the cup, my son's drinking out of the cup, so, it's, you know, two hours after the game, and you're watching them do this, and you're like, wow, you know, like, I've been chasing this thing for 32 years, yeah. man, and it, it just, it was just a culmination of all the work, and, and needless to say, all the support, you know, mm. from, certainly from. You know, mom and dad growing up, and then my wife, my kids, just endless support. And it's, it was awesome. It was great.
1: Now, this kept a really challenging six months because, you know, I take it you, you get the call. Yep. Find yourself in Tampa alone. Right. Part of it, I guess you went there last December or so, and right. then we're there for the stretch run of it.
0: Yeah, so I got the call for the job in October, and then, uh, you know, I left for De- in December for the job. And because of COVID and the compressed season, we just decided, I'll go Family stayed behind, so uh, I got back two days ago, and uh, you know I haven't been in my home for seven months, and you know the family came out to Tampa to celebrate and, and to be part of the playoffs, and it was great, uh, but it sure felt nice to come home and uh, just to be in your home and kind of be with your family for a few nights. It was, it was nice, especially, when you know that cup's coming next Sunday. Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) It's a a nice little bonus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I I look at it, and one of the things as a
1: church, I love how God has blessed our church with so many people that he puts in really unique situations of influence, and especially how, how, as a Christian, how do I use my influence for the sake of the kingdom? And specifically as a coach, I, I gotta believe your faith in Christ allows you to, it shapes how you coach, how you speak into these guys' life. How have you seen your faith inform just your professional career, especially your coaching this year?
0: Well, it's grown, and it's grown for a number of reasons. Um, just, and I, I always think of it in terms of team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have this team that I coach, and then i got this whole team of people. Um, that really support me endlessly. You know, I mentioned earlier my wife, my parents, for sure. But then, you know, I got this team of guys that, you know, I love being around that, I'm getting texts from these guys, hey, we're praying for you, man, keep it going. And uh, we do this thing with a group of guys, we got beers and Bibles that all these guys, when I went to them with, you know, trying to decide whether I was gonna take the job, and it was kind of a no-brainer, but I go to them anyways, and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, you gotta take this thing, right? Because I knew we had a shot, and uh, so, I always think of it in terms like that. Like I go back to um, all my conversations with those guys, and you know they're praying for me, and they were keeping me in mind. And again, I get these texts like, "Hey, we're praying for you, man," and we're getting real specific because I was always, I don't know, should I should I ask for that? You know, can I ask for help winning the Stanley Cup? And they're like, "Yeah, man, go for it!" Right? <laughs> and all these guys were asking the same thing, and it was it was really fun to know that you have this support behind you, and um, just to kind of always take that step forward, because it was two months of a grind, and to know you kind of got that, you got that support, and you got, you know, God looking after you, and and I always kind of go back to, you know, if he is for us, who can be against us, and uh, that that term always just kind of kept coming back to me, and back to me all the time, and I used it every day. Mm, I love it. Yeah.
1: Well, before we end, we've been yeah. talking about your coaching career, but uh, you also had a long playing career, yeah. and, and I've heard it through the grapevine. I just have to hear that uh,
0: <laughs> apparently you and the great one, Wayne Gretzky, yeah. Yeah. you got into it with Gretzky, you threw down. with You got to you, you gotta remember, if you're watching the Sharks back in 91, we we're getting smoked every yeah. game. So against Gretzky, it was, you know, 5-1, 6-1 one, one in, in a hurry, and he had, you know, three goals, a couple assists. So the play, we're down on our end. He tries to score. I stop him from scoring. I give him a kind of a hack and he whacks me back. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by 10 guys and he's yelling at me over the refs and I'm yelling at him. And finally, he says, as we're going to the box, he says, We get out of the box, we're going, which meant we're fighting. And I'm like, And Gretzky doesn't fight well. I mean, he's so protected, he never fights. So you must have really. It was like, it was kind of (laughs) surreal. So I'm sitting in the box and I'm saying, Oh my gosh, I'm going to. Fight Wayne Gretzky when I get out of this is crazy. And then I really thought about it. And I thought there's only two things that can happen here: one, I beat up Wayne Gretzky, then everybody in the league wants to beat me up; or two, I lose to Wayne Gretzky, and I'm on every highlight from now for the next 25 years. So it was actually a lose-lose situation for me. And I ended up I skate out of the I get out of the box after two minutes, and I look over, kind of hoping he doesn't want to do anything. He skates right to the box, and it never happened. But, you know, the, the thought of it happening yeah. was, was close. It yeah. was close.
1: So. Yeah, I, I think you thought through that very well. Yes, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It wasn't a win. win. It wasn't a win. Well, you just need to hear from me um, how much I appreciate this This weekend yeah. for us as a church is a total win. And uh, you initiated it. Venture, you, you need to know. I mean, Rob, when he heard, hey, he was going to have the cup, everybody that's a part of the organization, they get the cup for a day. Yeah. And uh, you called us. You reached out, and you wanted to share that with your church family yeah. and use it as a point of influence for the kingdom. I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you thinking about thinking about us. Yeah,
0: um, it's 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 a you know it's a great way to do it. This this thing is meant to be shared. Uh, it's meant to be enjoyed by a lot of people, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't think of a better way to, to do that. So it's well,
1: great. I am looking forward to it. To say the least. All right. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, as I said in the interview, I so appreciate Rob and appreciate that he wanted to uh, share this with the church and and we could experience some of the joy, the happiness that comes out of an experience like that. And as we look at it uh, again, I want to go back to, we need to embrace those moments when they come in life. There's nothing about scripture that ever says that we should have this this morbid or this sad disposition. I, I think one of our best testimonies to the world is that, as Paul tells us, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. That, that we have that sense of joy because we know that God is doing something in our life that is unique. You know, last week, the verse that we used, and, and every week I got a reframe verse of the week. It was Philippians 1, six because Paul is so joyful about this church. Remember what he said? He said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, will be bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And, and as we meditate on that truth, that as God started this work in me, this salvation in me, he's not going to be finished with me until the day of Jesus Christ. And we can have absolute confidence in that. Now, Paul is joyful for the church, but as we continue on this passage, you're going to see he also has a joy in his own life, no matter what he was going through. And I'll just remind you, if you didn't hear it last week, he's writing this from a Roman prison. He's writing this. He's chained to the prison guard. He's about to go before Emperor Nero, who was known for his persecution of Christians. And Nero's going to decide Paul's fate. So so Paul has every circumstance there to be worried, to be scared, to be down. He's also dealing with rivals, people in the area that were doing everything they could to discredit Paul. I mean, if you were facing all that, would joy be the thing that marks your life? And yet, look in this passage, and I say, Paul's got this unshakable joy. Read with me. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, where I am right now, it's actually a good thing so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, he's a prisoner there and the guards are with him. And through his influence, what he's saying is, I've been able to share to the whole guard why I'm here and what Christ is about. Not only that, he says that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, my imprisonment is is causing those who are out in the city in Rome, they're growing in their courage because I'm here and they're seeing what Christ is doing in me. Look, he continues on with it. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And I told you, some were trying to discredit. Some were going out and they were preaching Paul's message, but they're doing it out of envy. They want to compete with him. He says, but others do it out of goodwill. He says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so they're preaching this message of the gospel, but they're not doing it for the right reason. And and you would think at that moment, it would be so easy to get defensive. It'd be so easy to want to attack them. Look at Paul's perspective. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. He says even if they're doing it for the wrong reason, they're proclaiming Christ. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get defensive. In, In fact, look what he says. In that, I rejoice. I'm choosing joy. He continues on with it. Yes, I will rejoice. You feel that? He's making that choice that despite his circumstances, despite his enemies, despite all that's going on, I choose joy. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. God's got this. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. He says, I, I put all my eggs in God's basket. I, I'm trusting him with my reputation. I'm trusting him with my life. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, and notice this line, whether by life or by death. That Christ will be honored no matter what. And so his eager expectation, his choice of joy, is not because he is so sure that, oh, I'm going to get out of this. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know what Nero will decide. But he does know this. He says, I choose joy because I can. I know I'll never be ashamed in Jesus Christ and that he will be glorified through this. Now, how can he make these kind of statements? How can he have this kind of joy? Because these aren't just things he threw out there just to write the letter. And these are the convictions of a life, really a lifetime where he's lived this. And the next verse will show us, and I've chosen, you know, every week I, I tell you, we have a reframe verse of the week. It's the verse I want you to really have cemented. It's not a hard one to learn. I know you've heard it before, but I want us to look at it again. Look at our reframe verse of the week, Philippians 121. Paul says, the reason I have this kind of joy is for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And you, you feel that crystal clear perspective? In fact, the Greek, it's almost poetic. Uh, in, in the Greek, it's for me. And, and then the word here is to live, Christos. To die, kurdos I mean, It's just this, this simple statement that defines his life. And, and as we look at this, I mean, this is so powerful. That's why, again, I'll go back to why we want to take a statement like this and we want to look at Paul's life and go, okay, How could God use this to reframe the way I look at myself, the way I look at my future, the way I look at the world? What would it be like to have this kind of statement? See, what you see in this, and Paul's not declaring it for anybody else. He would never say anybody else's death is to gain. He doesn't even say death itself is something to gain. So he's not diminishing death, and hear me on that. If anybody writes about the enemy of death, it's Paul. But he's made a personal choice for me. In fact, as you look at this, this passage points out there's a personal decision to the two key questions of life that you see in this one statement. That that every single person on this planet has to really wrestle with these two questions. And whether you realize it or not, whether you were Christian or not, whether you looked at the Bible or not, everybody wrestles with these questions. The first one is, how will I live my life? I mean, what is the basis of my life? What's the core of my life? What is my life centered on? Everybody's got something at the center. And whether we we we've fleshed it out or not, whether we've thought about it or not, you've answered that question one way or another in the way that you're living your life. And then that question informs the second one, how will I view my death? <laughs> how will I see it that one day, apart from Jesus coming back, all of us will die. One day, they will, all of us, they'll be gathered around our casket. They'll lower us in the ground. They'll say kind words about us. And and the, depending on your age, you may not think about this much. You know, when you're young, you probably don't think about it. We think that we're immortal in a lot of ways. We do crazy, stupid things. But I'm telling you, the older you get, this starts to come into focus more. And, and it's amazing, these two things link together. And so the same way that Paul linked them together, they really link in our lives as well. And, and I think it's important to really think, how do we answer those questions? I mean, if you go back to that statement and you see it in the n- next slide, to live is blank, to die is blank. And how you fill in this blank really informs this one. What we want to do is allow scripture to reframe the way we see our lives, the way we see the world, and so as we do that, this would be a great time to really think about what would I put here. Honestly, don't just immediately assume because you're a Christian, well, okay, to live as Christ. Is he really? Is he the center of your life? In fact, I read some questions, Justin Buzzard who's a pastor here in town, he wrote some questions as he was talking about what are some of the things in our life that we might make idols or how do you reflect on this? Listen to some of these questions because I think they help you understand what are you putting in the blank? What would be there? He said, ask yourself, what do I worry about the most? What if I lost would cause me to not even want to live? What do I use to comfort myself when things are going badly or it's difficult? What preoccupies me? What do I daydream about? What do I fixate my thoughts on? What makes me feel worthy or happy? This is a great question. What is the first thing I want people to know about me that I find really my status set? What unanswered prayer would make me think about turning away from God? What do I expect out of life? See, every one of those questions, as you kind of chew through them, whether we want to admit it to ourselves, we may have our life centered on something that we would say, for me to live, maybe it's not Christ. Maybe you would say, to live is money. (laughs) To live is money. And and again, probably few people would come out and be that blatant, but it is easy to find our security in it. It is easy to make it the scorecard in life. It is easy to go, man, when I have money and I, I know that it's there and I look at that, man, I feel better about myself. And again, I, I'm not saying that Christianity calls us to live as paupers. We, we certainly want to be able to meet the needs that we have. Scripture calls us to work toward that. But boy, when it becomes the center, the measurement, if to live as money, man, what is to die? To die means I leave it all behind. You don't take any of it with you. And even if you're a Christian, you think anybody in heaven's going to be impressed with how much money you made on this side of eternity? Good grief. God uses gold as pavement. He uses jewels as flooring. I promise you this, no one there could care what you made here. Maybe the next thing is to live is accomplishment. I know a lot of us struggle with this. A lot of us that are workaholics are, man, when you feel like you're accomplishing and you're doing, and you make your whole life about that next ladder and that next rung on the ladder and that next company and that next promotion and that next accomplishment, and you can do that, you do a life of that, you know what, when you come to die, there's so much regret. Because life was all about doing and not actually who you are. Maybe for some of us to live as pleasure and experiencing and the next thrill and the next thing that makes me feel good and makes me feel alive. And if you do that, man, to die is what? It's horror. It's all over. The party's over. And so that's why people that live this kind of life, I don't even think about death at all. I just push it off as much as I can by having the next experience. And don't ever let me slow down. Don't ever let me stop. Don't ever let me think. Don't ever let me sit. If Whatever I've got to do, if it's streaming shows constantly, if it's on my phone constantly, i got to have some stimulation because I don't want to think about what's coming. Maybe for some of us to live is our health and our body, and we make life about it, again, a good thing, unless it's the main thing and the center thing. And then as you start to experience life and time and gravity catches up with all of us, man, to think about dying can be panicky for some people. Uh, Maybe to live is empirical proof. You sit here and you go, yeah, for me, it's about science. It's about what I can prove. It's about what can be known. I I don't bring faith into the equation. And that, that may be how you live your life. Certainly a lot of people in the valley do. But the reality is that If you build your life on that, I hate to break it to you, death is the great unknown. And when you come to the precipice of it, and what that means, if you've built a life where I've excluded God. In fact, I was reading uh, one author, and I loved her honesty in this. Uh, She's an atheist. It was Greta Christina. And she wrote this in Skeptical Inquirer. And she just says as an atheist, one of the things she doesn't like thinking about is death. She said death can be an appalling thing to think about. Not just frightening, not just painful, it can be paralyzing. The fact that your lifespan is an infinitesimally tiny fragment in the life of the universe that there is, at the very least, a strong possibility that when you die, you disappear completely and forever, and that in 500 years, nobody will remember you. In 5 billion years, Earth will fall into the sun. This can be a profound and defining truth about your existence that you reflexively repulse, that you flinch away from, that you refuse to accept or even think about, consistently pushing it to the back of your mind whenever it sneaks up for the fear that if you allow it to sit in your mind, even for a minute, it will swallow up everything else. It can make everything you do and anything anyone else does seem meaningless, trivial to the point of absurdity. It can make you feel erased, wiped out with joy. Make your life seem like ashes in your hands. Man, those are powerful words. But I would say she's being honest. That that if this is how I've built my worldview, I've built my life without God, without any perspective. when you come to death, it can be paralyzing. A lot of people feel this to live is religion. And I would say you put any of the religions in here, the world religions with that, other than Christianity. And, And you come to this place, man, you've got to live out that religion so that to die means I hope I was good enough. So if for me to live is Islam, man, I hope I kept the five pillars of Islam enough that Allah... Will reward me. If my religion is Buddhism, I, I hope I follow that eightfold path so I can experience enlightenment. If if, if it's Hinduism, I, I hope that I've broken this cycle of reincarnation, that I've done enough, that I've finally reached nirvana in it. If it's just a, a core religion that most people have, I hope I was good enough, that I did more good in life than bad, and that there's some kind of reward. See, if you fill it in with that, and you're always hoping, did I do enough? Guys, we can fill it with good things. I mean, for some people to live is family. And I love my family. But if I make my family the center of my life, the center of my being, the center of how I define myself, man, the thought of leaving them in death, it's already heartbreaking enough to think that. It's horrifying in this. And the the problem with making them the center of your life, they can never deliver what only Christ can in that. You know, as a pastor, it's easy to get caught up to live as ministry, as church. It's these good things that I'm doing for God. And you can get caught up in that to a point that you actually miss out on a life with God. See, anything else other than Christ, if if I were just to define it, anything else is to live life for me. For me to live is me. And then when you do that, to die is the end of me. Man, that's a hard way to live life. And and it's no wonder when you live that way and when you experience that, why so many people are anxious all the time. And so many people are afraid all the time. And when something like a global pandemic hit, it's already hard enough to deal with it. But then you add the level of fear that goes on top of that. And then I look at a guy like Paul, and he just calls out to us, and he says, hey, for me, even though I'm in jail, even though I may be sentenced to death, even though I'm facing all these difficulties, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. See, he can say that because he, he describes, and we know through Scripture, what does it mean to live in Christ? What does Christ promise us? And, and I started just kind of list out, you can see it in your notes, but there's so many things when you think about living in Christ. I mean, you look at it, to be in Christ, there's no condemnation for my sins. Romans 8.1 promises me that. No matter what I've done, it's forgiven in Christ. Not only that, there's no wasted parts of my pain. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who know Him, those who love Him. There's no part of my life that's wasted. He's using it for my good. There's no separation from His love. Romans 8, 38 and 39, that neither life nor death, principalities, powers, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. There's no fear in His presence. 1 John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear. And so when I'm in the presence of His perfect love, I never have to be afraid. He says as well, there's no inconsistency in His character. He doesn't change. I don't ever ever have to worry that the Jesus of tomorrow, the Christ of tomorrow, is going to treat me any different than today. Hebrews 13, 8 says, That Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And And one of the things I love the most, there are no more tears or death for eternity. There's no more tears. There's no more death. Revelation 21 promises us that Jesus himself will wipe away the tears. That Jesus himself will condemn death for eternity. That Jesus himself has promised there's no pain because this, this is just a small list of what it means to be in Christ. See, this is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about when he says, man, I am in Christ. So for me to live, it's all about Christ. It's all about what he's done. It's all about what he's taken care of. And so when I have that perspective, he has the freedom that even if I'm facing death, it's gain." I read about a woman that had that perspective. She uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given three months to live. And if you've had friends or you know someone that's gone through cancer and that journey, you know how horrifying that is. She had unbelievable faith in Christ. She called her pastor and they went through her funeral service. She talked about the scriptures she wanted read, the songs that she wanted sung. She said she wanted to be buried with her Bible. And then she said one more thing. And she brought out a fork and she said, I want to be buried with this fork in my right hand. And the pastor kind of looked at her puzzling. And I've done a lot of funerals, I've never had a request like that. And she said, You know, all the years at the church dinner, so we'd have potlucks and we'd have different dinners. And and when they would clear away the plates after the, the main courses, somebody would call out and they'd say, Keep your fork, keep your fork. And she said, I would know then. Oh, the best part of the meal's coming. There's going to be a chocolate cake or an apple pie. She loved dessert. She said, I want to hold that fork in my casket. And when people walk by and they say, what's the deal with the fork? You tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Because that's what I'll be experiencing. See, that's a woman who knew what it was like to live in Christ. That even as she faced her death, she could say, ah, the best is coming. Doesn't diminish the pain of death for those of us here. But it changes. It gives an unshakable joy. It gives us a perspective that as a believer, especially for Paul, he looks at it and he says, when I look at my future, I have a no-lose future in front of me. In fact, look at the passage as he continues on with it. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So if I get to live post this trial, I'll get to do more. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to to depart and be with Christ. He says, honestly, emotionally, I'd rather just be with Jesus. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh, to keep living, Is more necessary for your account. So he's thinking about them. You you feel this tension. He goes, man, I'd love to just go home and be with Jesus. But I think you guys need me. He continues on in the passage. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to see you again. I, I love how he finishes out. He goes, man, I am torn. I'd love to go home and be with Jesus. But I'd also love to see you guys. I'd love to encourage you. I'd love to keep doing this work in your life. You feel what he's saying here? He says, I don't lose. And that's why I want you to embrace, when we think of this kind of joy, it doesn't mean that we diminish those happy times. In fact, as Christians, I think we should be the ones that embrace them that much more. Why do I say that? Because when you have this kind of perspective, it frees you. It helps you enjoy the happy days that much more because your joy is not based on them. When when you have those moments, when you have those Stanley Cup moments, when you have those moments of joy in your life, when you have those moments of joy with your family, when those great days come, we can enjoy them that much more because our whole basis is not based on them. Some of you, you can't enjoy the good days. You know why? Because you sit there and worry, oh, something bad's about to come. See, when you have this kind of perspective, it frees you. It frees you to enjoy the happy days. And it also, this perspective, it helps you face the hard days that much more. Because you always know that Christ is using them to make you more like Him. See, the high times and the hard times. The happy days, the sad days. There's a joy that comes when your perspective is based on this. Man, for me to live, it's Christ. To die, it's gain. Because I'll be with Christ. If you can have that kind of freedom, do you see how much it frees you up for the rest of life as well? I just want to encourage you, some of you as you hear this message, I don't know where your relationship is with Christ. I mean, if we go back to that reframe verse of the week, for me to live as Christ and to die as gang, is this truly your verse? Is this truly the statement that you'd make? You know, I, I told you I loved watching the NBA Championship. And, and one of the reasons I was pulling for the Suns part of the time, I'd find myself torn, but I love Monty Williams, the coach of the Suns. Because I think he lives out this principle in a way that that people are noticing. Uh, Several years ago, uh, Monty went through the tragedy. His wife, Ingrid, was killed in a car wreck. And he was left with five kids. And, And I'd encourage you sometime, go online. You can pull it up, Monty Williams, eulogy for his wife, Ingrid. And just watch what he said at her funeral. Unbelievable power of a man who had faith in Christ. That even in loss, he was looking to Christ. As I've watched him through the years, he took some time away from coaching so he could focus on his kids. And then as he's been coaching through these playoffs, just watching him in interviews, as times his reporters would tell him, man, are you stressed out about it? And, and he always is so calm. He says, you know what? Christ is the foundation of my life. Everything that we experienced here is just on top of that. I, I watched another day, the, the night before the last game. And, and in the press conference, they said, what do you do at night to calm down between these games? And he said, oh man, I'm really boring. He said, I like to do devos with my kids. And then he explained, he goes, oh, devos are devotionals. Whereas a family, we read a verse and then we just apply, what is God saying through that verse? And you just could feel his faith, his relationship with Christ, just coming through in the interview. You know, after his team, the Phoenix Suns, lost this week, they lost the last game. And the Milwaukee Bucks were celebrating in their locker room and they had all the champagne. Man, one of the most striking images to me. I looked up on the screen and there's Monty Williams, the coach of the losing team, had come to their locker room. And he quieted everybody down for a moment and he just looked at all of them and he said, I just wanted to personally congratulate you for what you've done. You were the better team. And so just hear from me my congratulations. I'm telling you, you could feel it with the announcers as people talked about it. You look at him, you go, there is something different about that man. And I would say at the core of it, what he's experienced and what I see in it, this is a man, for him to live as Christ. It just comes through. And, and when that is the core of your life, people notice it. I don't know where you are today as you hear this. For some of you, When I ask, is Jesus the center of your life? He's not the center of your life because he's not the savior of your life yet. You've never embraced the forgiveness that comes, all those things that he wants to give you. For some of us, we would say, yeah, Jesus is my savior. But this might be a good time to ask, is he really the center? Is Is he the core of my life so that I could say this phrase, for me to live is Christ. And even to die is gain. You struggle with that, or maybe you want to talk to somebody about that. Reach out to us. Connect with us. We'll we'll connect with you live. Reach out to us through this site. Reach out to us as a church. We want you to experience this. We want to live this together. We literally want this kind of thinking to reframe the way we do life. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you. Thank you for Christ. I thank you that because of what he accomplished, we truly can center all of our life on him. Lord, I pray this would be true of me. I know you're my Savior, but I also want him to be the center, the basis of everything I do. So that for me to live is Christ. And that no matter what I face, even if it was death itself, I would know that it's gain because of what Christ has done. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and pray all this in Christ's name.
0: We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.